I'm Daniel Green and you're listening to the journalism.co.uk podcast. This week we're talking about unorthodox methods for storytelling. In this week's podcast we speak to Masuma Ahuja, former CNN producer and former Washington Post national digital editor, about how to tell stories through unconventional means, what those methods can bring to a feature and how to pitch such approaches to your editors. There's something nice about being able to slow down and stop and sit with a story. And in a way that I think in all these formats that I've been playing with, there's something very familiar about them, right? Like we all know how to listen to a voice tell a story. We all know what a diary entry really means. And so if I can make you stop and listen to someone tell their own story for two minutes and you see a piece of yourself in it, like that cuts through the noise a little bit. So that was Masuma explaining the intimacy of her latest project, Girlhood Around the World, which reveals what girlhood is like through diary entries and photographs. More on that later, but first let's start with your first foray into the world of unorthodox reporting, Love Story, a collection of love stories submitted by people by voicemail. So what inspired this form of storytelling through unexpected platforms? I worked in digital things for the national desk and across the board really but for the national and politics desk and this was very much not a national or politics project but I um, created a tumblr with one of my colleagues at the post called this year I learned in 2014 so that was my first like foray into voicemail journalism and I realized that voicemails were a great way to collect stories and tell stories and so a year later when I was in New York in early 2016, that was when I did the Love Story project. It was like right in the run up to Valentine's Day 2016, so January, February 2016. So what can using voicemails bring to a story that a traditional journalistic approach cannot? For me, there's something incredibly intimate about a voicemail where you hear someone's voice, right? And on the other side, the person who is calling in, we don't really leave voicemails anymore. Like the only places I would really imagine myself calling are the doctor's office maybe, or like some sort of administrative thing. But we all know how to pick up a phone, dial a number and talk into a phone. So the barrier to entry technologically is very low where I'm not asking someone to download a new app. I'm not asking them to like figure out how to do the voice memo thing on WhatsApp. Like this is just very intuitive. Call a number, instructions are talked at you and then you just start talking. And it's also the space itself, I think, enables people to tell stories in a very powerful and compelling way because there's something very confessional about being able to call, knowing someone will listen on the other side, but also not having anyone interrupt you, not seeing their facial reactions. It's just a space where you know that someone is going to listen to your story and you can just tell your story in your own words the way you want to. And then on a listener side, when you think about consuming the story, there's also something very powerful and intimate about hearing a voice, right? Like actually hearing someone tell you their story and hearing it in in their own voice and in their own words. So that's why voicemails make sense. I think it's fair to say that this is a bit out of the norm for most newsrooms. So how did you go about pitching the idea to your editors? I didn't pitch it as like any big thing, right? When 
I, I pitched it very much as I'm going to print out some flyers. I'm going to talk to legal and like make sure covering, you know, all my bases. But I'm just going to put some flyers up around New York and see what happens. See if anyone even calls in. And then people did. And the stories spoke for themselves a little bit where, you know, I it was through Google Voice. So I would like log in and start listening to the messages left. And they were trickling in in the beginning and then they really started to amp up. But I would hear a really good story and then turn to my teammates, none of whom were working on this. It was just like me doing my own weird thing. Be like, oh my God, you have to listen to this. And we, will all, we would all huddle up around my computer and listen to someone tell us their love story. And it was incredibly powerful and moving and wonderful. And like, how often do you get that, really? Like we all work in news and we collect stories and we reach out to people for stories, but you very rarely was I in a position at least where I was sitting at my computer and hearing love stories from around the world, from different generations, all kinds of stories. And so the stories had a power of their own. And it was very easy to say, if we're all moved by this, then there's something here. And we kept iterating on what that something was. You know, it started out as me just uploading the audio files into SoundCloud and making a Twitter account. And then as it picked up more and more, it was like, okay, this should probably be something more than just a Twitter account. Maybe we should like collect some of these stories. Maybe we should make a video with them. Maybe we should animate it. Maybe it can live on other platforms. But it started out as a very small thing. So it wasn't a crazy ask for me to say, hi, can I go out and put up some flyers and collect some love stories? After Love Story, you went on to create a portrait of motherhood around the world, sending disposable cameras to people from a variety of different countries. What inspired that idea? My main job at CNN at the time was working on launching CNN onto all these emerging platforms like Facebook Messenger, Kick, Line, all the chat apps. And I was running CNN's Instagram presence at the time and figuring out strategy for Instagram, what, sh- what, what it should be and how we should be telling stories on there. And existing in that space, I spent a lot of time on my phone, on my feeds, looking at a very curated world, which is wonderful and like it is its own thing, but it was very different from the world out there. I felt like I was looking at the world only through specific sets of eyes and there's so much more out there. And I was also very conscious of the fact that the world that I was seeing and the world that we could get to, you know, in Instagram call outs or through curated experiences on there was very much a world that was seen through the eyes of people who were on the platform, who had smartphones, who were connected to this very large news organization that I worked for, whether it was by following us or following us on TV or following us on social media. And I wanted to look at the world a little bit beyond that. And, you know, what happens if we go to Nigeria? Like, what does the world look like through someone's eyes there? What does the world look like through women's eyes in the West Bank? And that was part of the reason why I wanted to send out disposable cameras was to get to people who maybe don't have smartphones, who don't have access to social media. And it was nice to be able to use a consistent camera across the board. So it wasn't like if you have an iPhone, use an iPhone. If you have don't have a phone, we'll give you a disposable camera. It was to keep it consistent. So was there a particular reason for choosing disposable cameras over other formats? There is something incredibly nostalgic, in my mind at least, when you get the role of film developed for a disposable camera. And I'm definitely of the generation where I grew up with disposable cameras and eventually like moved on to smartphones or like digital cameras and then smartphones. 
But we all know what disposable camera photos look like, and they have a different feel and look. And that nostalgia was also captured in those photos. Of course, this project involved a lot more than Love Story. How did you get your editors to agree to something that must have come across as a bit daunting? I worked at CNN at the time, which is a very international news organization, and has a lot of people in a lot of different countries so it's not a ridiculous ask like disposable cameras aren't very expensive i I feel like i looked on amazon and there was a deal that day and i was like oh you can get 20 for even cheaper than if i buy one um but it it isn't a very expensive feat to buy a couple of like five ten dollar cameras and send them out and i i had this idea and i sold it as like look at the track record of interesting things i've done I went to an editor in the international desk who I had worked with at that point before and done some experimental digital storytelling with. So she had seen my work and trusted my work and knew that I could pull things off and I'd pulled off bigger things. So it wasn't like I was completely out there and, you know, suggesting something to someone who had never worked with me. I'd built up my track record. But also I wasn't asking for very much. It was, hey, I want to send out cameras. I want to make sure that there is a diversity of countries we get to and a diversity of perspectives we showcase, but I'm not going to be very demanding in terms of where the cameras need to reach. So we, I like worked with the international desk to figure out the best places to get cameras to. So it made it much easier where they, they said to me, oh, one of our journalists is in this country and they're actually like flying out through New York. Do you want to hand them a camera tomorrow? And I was like, yes, of course. And it, I had a very like long timeline where we started probably like in November and it published in May. Now, in your most recent project, you've been working with The Lily to tell stories of teenage girls through diary entries. What was behind that approach? Was it your own experience with diaries at that age? It definitely wasn't my own diary entries that inspired it. <laughs> but I do like diary entries are a thing for teenage girls almost everywhere. It is a very like universal safe space where we turn to work through our thoughts and like people everywhere around the world the journal isn't like a crazy concept um to start with and i was very interested in finding a way to tell stories in girls own voices so i wasn't going in there and trying to frame the story but i did want to give context so to be able to say this is how a girl views the world is a really powerful thing and it didn't feel enough to just hand her a camera and say, take photos of your world, which is a different a different project and a different thing. I just wanted to know what day-to-day life looked like because I was out reporting and the the projects I was pitching, the stories I was pitching, the weird digital ideas I was coming up with, they all focused on thematic lines of coverage on gender and didn't feel like they were really getting at what day-to-day life looked like which I felt like was a very important part of context that was missing. Um, And so I was thinking a lot about like, how do we tell the story? And a thing that came up in girls I was interviewing and people I was talking to in books I was reading, like across the board, diary entries kept coming up. And I realized that that was perhaps a way to tell the story of what it was to be a girl in the world. Again, like I pitched the project and then I had to go out and get diary entries and see if there was something there and what that looked like and go from that point but it seemed like a powerful a powerful enough tool that enough people could relate to like when I went to the editors at the Lily and said hey do you remember keeping a diary they said yes 
and that was powerful like that was a good starting point for me it was like okay you know what it's like and we have all we've all had friends who have kept diaries we've probably read a book or watched a film or consumed some culture in addition to our own experience where a girl with a diary is a thing so we know that there is something there and we know that it is a space where girls work through the world and their place in the world and we know that it is a very particular thing especially for teenage girls so that was my starting point. Do you think you would have been able to replicate the same intimacy of the project if you'd taken a more traditional approach? I think it would have been a different set of questions I would have been asking and they wouldn't have been the questions that I wanted to ask. Like the question I was trying to answer was what does life look like, right? And what does day-to-day life look like beyond the headlines? But if I had gone in and said, you know, you are a girl and you are a refugee. Tell me what it's like to be a refugee. The entire experience would be different. The set of questions I as a reporter would ask would be very different as opposed to tell me what it's like to be a girl in the world or like tell me what you did today where the questions I I send every girl a series of questions of like the types of things to address in your diary entry and also like you don't have to listen to me and you can just write about whatever you want to write about which was in the instructions. And that is a very different framing from what does it look like to be a refugee? Or what does it look like to be a girl under the age of 18 who is married? What does it look like to be a mother when you're 17? Like, that framing is different, right? It is about the topic and not about life as a person. A lot of the stories from across the projects you've worked on are very emotionally charged. But was there one that you found particularly touching? They all moved me so much, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> there were different things in each one, honestly, that were very powerful and compelling. And that's also the reason, I mean, I kept going with the projects and they became bigger things than just like me putting up flyers in New York or me getting back photos from someone is because I was moved. And I think that's also kind of the point of every single one of these projects is that I like to use these unexpected mediums and then bring them into like digital journalism and the spaces we occupy as digital journalists and show people life beyond maybe what we would normally encounter on in our inboxes on on our phones in our like on our social feeds and there's so much like we have so much shared humanity right and that's often what comes out in these projects for me is you see mothers around the world sharing disposable camera photos and there there are themes that emerge across the board, whether it's like little kids with backpacks or it's diary entries where girls are talking about their big dreams um, or it's like love story voicemails where you hear a lot of like this unexpected thing happened, but still we persevered. Like, there's just a lot of like shared humanity and you find yourself, I found myself seeing myself in a lot of these stories in ways I wouldn't have expected and like that's what makes them powerful I think. What would you say are the benefits of doing a project using these methods for storytelling? They they work in my mind because there's a lower barrier to entry in some way like whether it's writing a diary entry or it's taking photos or you know calling with a phone and leaving a voicemail like it's a very easy thing to do and the other part of it was breaking outside like I've done a lot of the projects where you curate photos from Instagram, you like do a Twitter call out, you know, you collect stories on, like I've done it on so many different platforms, on WhatsApp and Facebook. Um, 
and they work, but you reach a specific audience and you get a story in a specific format. And we see a lot of that. And so I don't know if it was a very intentional thing going into these that I, especially into the first project where I knew what I was doing more than just, it would be nice to hear a voice tell me about a story. Like I want to hear someone tell me a story. This was like maybe right before the, it was early, it was late 2014 that I did the first Tumblr with voicemails. So it was right before we all started listening to podcasts obsessively. And I could tell that like, I wanted to hear a story telling me, a voice telling me a story. But beyond that, I don't know that I had like any grand plans or intentional plans of breaking through the noise that just came with time and realizing that this was, this was an interesting juxtaposition where if I could change the texture of how we were consuming the stories, make it more intimate, make it perhaps a little nostalgic, make it feel more human, and place that in the spaces where we were consuming a lot of different stories that looked the same, like in our in our phones and in our feeds, then maybe there was something powerful there. So in a fast-paced news environment, do you think there is a place for this type of reporting? I like to think so. I mean, I have a, I have a career because of that. I like to think so. Um, yeah, I think there's, I mean, I obviously am not the average news consumer because I do this for a living, right? But we have so much information that's being thrown at us in so many different directions and our phones are constantly like pinging and buzzing, telling us things about the people in our lives and the world at large, that there's something nice about being able to slow down and that helps, I think that also helps us understand the world around us better. If we can understand how people live and love and exist in places that maybe we don't have access to or we only encounter through the headlines and through headlines that are generally about news events, which tend to be bad things happening in different places. If, if we can have a juxtaposition of that with like, this is what it actually is to be a human in this place, that only helps us better, better understand the world around us. What advice do you have for a journalist who wants to experiment with this type of storytelling? I think it also helps to, like with Love Story, to start small and for people to see what you're capable of and how you can tell stories in interesting and compelling ways. So it's not just your first day at a new job going into an editor and saying, hey, you don't know who I am, you've never worked with me. Can I use your budget and your resources to send cameras out to all your journalists? Because that might not work. But knowing that you can like knowing that you can tell stories in interesting ways showing people you can do that and then finding there also has to be a reason for doing it right like if I just say I want to send cameras out and I can't make a case for it then of course no one is going to say yes to me there also has to be a point and I basically had to explain as I explained to you why I wanted to send cameras out to people how this was going to be different from what we would get in any other scenario like why couldn't I just do it using Instagram or why couldn't I just crowdsource in another way so making that case was also important would you like to see more people adopting the way of storytelling that you've often used for your projects radio has been doing call-in shows forever right like people have been calling in to the radio since the dawn of time probably like since radio call-in shows existed so it's not like I've reinvented the wheel in any way it's just bringing back some of that like connection to community and to real people into our digital spaces and into our like social media feeds and into perhaps spaces where we're not taking as much time to tell human stories in like more thoughtful authentic ways um 
but yeah, I want more of this. I want more people to do stuff like this. And I, I, I think it's, I mean, it's often going to be like for me, like it has been for me, pitching kind of a wild idea outside of the purview of your day-to-day job and going out and playing with it and seeing what comes of it. Some really interesting insights from Masuma. Thanks to her for taking the time to speak with me. And thanks, of course, to you at home or on the commute for tuning in. Want to drive change in your newsroom? Come along to our Newsrewide conference on the 27th of November at Reuters in London, where we'll be discussing how to devise and drive fundamental transformations in newsrooms and so much more. Head over to newsrewired.com to bag yourself a ticket, save the date, and we'll see you there. Don't forget, if you'd like to feature on one of our podcasts, you can get in touch with us at Journalism News on Twitter. That's all for now. Until next time. Thank you.